Uh, we're getting some feedback, so somebody's got a mic on somewhere, so watch that. Uh, okay, so we're in a series on eschatology, the doctrine of last things under the title, What's Next? Waiting for the Kingdom to Come. We covered a lot of subjects, but the one that we looked at last week was the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God will bring peace, good things of joy, salvation, and the reign of the God of Israel. Uh, that's really what Isaiah tells us that the good news is. Now we're all aware that while the gospel, which is to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, began with many Jews believing and accepting Jesus as the anointed one, the Messiah. Uh, and this message then spread to the God-fearing Gentiles uh, through uh, Peter at Cornelius's house, and then finally to outright pagans who turned from idols to the living God as, as a result of Paul's ministry to the Corinthians and the Thessalonians in that sense. Uh, we're also aware that over time a split began to occur between those who followed and hoped in Yeshua, both Jews and Gentiles, and those who held to Torah but didn't accept that Yeshua was the Messiah. But within them, there was those of faith and those of works. That split took place uh, over several centuries. Today I want to talk about that split and the problems of the gospel being presented to Jews in Paul's day. So that's why this is the gospel and the Jews part one. Next week, I want to add the problems of the gospel as presented to Jews today. We have to remember that there's a major distinction between the time of Paul and Judaism at that time and Christianity that didn't exist, and now the fact that there's a Judaism and a Christianity that have a history that is much different than the first century. So I want to talk about this problem in the first century, uh, and I asked you to read Romans 9, 10, and 11 to be familiar with the text. Now, I'm not going to start with Romans 9. I'm actually going to start with Romans 10 and 11 and then go back to 9. I think that that will make this easier. I'm trying to address something that people have been arguing about for a long time, and it's an area where most uh, pastors just don't preach on it or talk about it. So I want you to turn to Romans 10. We're going to look beginning at the first four verses, and then we'll go to Romans 11 ultimately, and then to Romans 9. So, in Romans 10, verses 1 to 4, Paul says, My heart's desire, brethren, and my prayer to God for them, he's talking about Israel, is their salvation. For I testify uh, about them that they have a zeal for God, but it is not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Messiah is the goal and the purpose of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, your Bibles probably say Christ is the end of the law. The word there, telos, is not the word for end. It can mean end, but it can also mean the goal or the ultimate object that is the direction. And that's what Paul means there. He doesn't mean the end of the law, as he declares in several places. So, what we have here is Paul begins this, this section of his letter by talking about one issue, 
that he has already talked about earlier in the book of Romans. He's addressed it uh, several times, and that is a righteousness of obedience and a righteousness of faith. One is based on the idea that when someone obeys God and does his commandments, God is now indebted. And therefore, that righteousness by that man's work has earned him salvation. Paul rejects this. He claims that there's no salvation that can be earned. There never was a salvation that could be earned. He claims that there is a second kind of righteousness that exists apart from the uh, law, but is witnessed to by the law and the prophets. Uh, this is the righteousness of faith. And because all have sinned, both Jew and Gentile, salvation must come by grace through faith. So one problem that some Jews in Paul's day had was a false belief that salvation could be earned by obedience. And Paul says they were ignorant, they had a zeal for God to obey him, but they were ignorant of God's righteousness and were trying to establish their own righteousness uh, as qualifying them for salvation. Now, not all Jews believe this, uh, but some did, and some do today. In the same way, there are some Christians today who believe that by their own goodness, they can establish themselves as righteous with God. But Paul makes it clear that the Messiah is the goal and the fullness of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So I want you to keep that in mind, that Paul says that there are people who have a misunderstanding about the law. They think the law can save them if they are obedient because they can earn their salvation. And that that is not the way it's done. It's done by faith. So now in Romans 10 through uh, 5 through 13, Paul picks that up. So he says, for Moses writes, remember Paul says, this is testified in the law and in the prophets. Moses writes that a man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But he also says, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Messiah down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring up uh, Messiah from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because with the heart a person believes, faiths, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says... Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, you need to understand that when Paul is talking about this, he's arguing that this is a Torah doctrine. This is what the Torah says. And he is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30, where Moses says, the word that I'm telling you is not far from you, 
it is in your mouth and in your heart. In other words, Paul is making an appeal to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 16. I want you to look at that because I want you to understand that Paul is not arguing that something new has come. He is explaining that what was talked about before is now coming into fullness. And that is different than saying that something is passing away with something new, when in reality this is not something new. It is a continuation, an expansion of what was said before. So in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, Moses says, This commandment which I command you today is not too difficult to you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say who will go up to heaven for us to get it. Uh, and, and make us hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea, that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it, and make us hear it, that we may observe it. But the word is very near in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. Okay? And then he says, see, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. And I command you to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, that the Lord may may bless you in the land where you are entering. But if your heart turns away, you will and you not obey, and you are drawn away and worship other gods, then God is going to punish them. So, two things that are going on there. One is life and death. That's what salvation is about. And the other one is blessing and cursing. And that's what he says. I have said both of these before you. This word is in your heart and it's in your mouth. Paul says, this word of faith is a confession and a heart conviction. And he expresses it in Romans, I'm back in Romans, he expresses it in Romans as a statement that um, uh, Jesus is Lord and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That is very explicit for you and me because we know the story of Jesus. But the meaning is clear and understood even at that time that the Lord is salvation and that the Lord raises the dead. That was the faith of Abraham that Paul talks about in Romans 4. So I want to look there because I want you to catch that uh, this needs to be understood in the context that Paul is talking about. In Romans 4, chapter 1, I mean, verse 1, he says, What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham faithed in God, he trusted God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the righteousness of faith. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. That's the earning your salvation. But to the one who does not work, but fades or trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, Paul goes on to say, also David speaks of the blessing of a man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised? And Paul says, uh, faith was credited while 
Abraham was not circumcised, and then he was circumcised. So I want you to follow this. Paul is saying that this righteousness of faith is believing in God and trusting that God will keep his word, and that includes the belief in resurrection. For Abraham understood that. He believed God when God told him he was going to give him a son. And then when God told him to kill his son, he knew that God would raise his son if he had to to keep his word. That is the promise and that is the faith of righteousness. So that's testified to, Paul says, in the Torah. But it's also testified to in the prophets. So he uses David David understood that the sinner who trusts in God would find forgiveness. Now I want you to know that neither Abraham nor David had ever heard of this one we call Jesus. They did know that God would bring salvation, Yeshua, and that it involved the raising of the dead. For David says, Thou wilt not leave thy Holy One in Hades, nor allow his body to suffer corruption. They knew that God would send one who would come from God, and that one would be salvation, Yeshua, and that there would be the resurrection of the dead. But they didn't know the specifics of Jesus as we have it in the Gospels. Nor did the Jews at the time of Paul. The Gospels would be written near the end of Paul's life, and the message of Jesus' resurrection was being told, but it was being told in the context of these statements in the Torah and the prophet, particularly Isaiah, as we see in the book of Acts. So it's important to keep in mind that Paul is writing not in a time when Christianity exists as we know it, or the gospel as we understand it is being presented. He is presenting what God has already said, that God is salvation, Yeshua, and that God is the raiser of the dead. Now I want to go a little further. So Paul goes on and says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Notice he quotes Isaiah, but he doesn't quote all of it. Uh, and so what we have here is him saying, However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Messiah. Now, what Paul is saying here is that those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Paul says, how will they call on somebody they don't know? And how will they know unless somebody tells them? And how will somebody tell them if they're not sent? And then he talks about the good news that Isaiah talks about. Not all who heard the good news uh, believed. And he's talking about the time of Isaiah. That when Isaiah said that this was coming, not all of them believed it. Some of them didn't accept it, but some did. Faith then comes by hearing and hearing by the word about Messiah. And as we said, that passage in, in Isaiah 
goes on into Isaiah 53, which talks about the death and burial and resurrection of this servant of the Lord, this one who brings Yeshua salvation. Okay? Now, I want you to uh, go a little further in Romans 10, verses 18 to 21. But I say, surely they have not heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I say, surely Israel didn't know. But Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, it's very important that you understand what Paul's saying. Paul is saying the gospel has been going forth from the beginning. And the gospel has been going even to Israel. And in Israel, there are some that accepted it and some that didn't. And that gospel is what Isaiah talks about, that there will come one who is the Messiah, that that one will uh, bring about salvation, Yeshua, and that one will raise the dead or be raised from the dead. So, what he says is that God has already told them through Moses that he was going to make them jealous by another group. That's Deuteronomy 32.21 where God says, I will make you jealous. Now, when will he make them jealous? Well, if you read Deuteronomy 30, 31, and 32, God says, I'm bringing you in the land. You're not going to be able to do what you need to do to stay in the land and to stay blessed. And I'm going to cast you out. And out, you're going to be dispersed in all the world. Even then, I'm going to change your heart and bring you back to me. Uh, which is what the New Covenant is all about. And when I bring you back to me, I'm going to make you jealous by a people that are not a people, a people who are ignorant and foolish, who don't have my word. So, it's important to understand that the Gentiles in Paul's day were turning to God, and, and some of the Jews were not turning to God. And there was this dynamic of jealousy that had begun. But what about the Jews? Are they rejecting God and God rejecting them so that the Gentiles now can be the saved people of God? Are we moving towards replacement theology? The answer is no. So now we move into Romans chapter 11, 1 to 10. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too, Paul says, I am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says? He goes back to the prophets. With Elijah, how Elijah pleads against God and says, Lord, they've killed your prophets, and they've torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. Now, Paul could say the same thing, right? He could say, God, my fellow Jews uh, are not following what they should follow and, the, and I'm the only one left, and, and, and they're seeking to kill me. And what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee 
to Baal. In the same way, read verse 5 carefully, in the same way there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. We'll get to the gracious choice, that's chapter 9 in a minute. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. So what Paul is saying is, there is a remnant within Israel who have not turned away from God, who have received the gospel in that early form and are awaiting the message that it's coming into fullness. They, he says, that God has not rejected his people, though many of them have rejected him. God has always had a remnant who trusts in God to save them, and they call upon God's name and seek his salvation, his Yeshua. This remnant remains in a humble faith, but the rest, Paul says, are hardened. They have rejected God. They have not rejected Jesus, because they haven't heard about Jesus. So, what do we say? He says, what shall we say? That Israel is seeking what it has not obtained. And those who were chosen obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, and again, he quotes Isaiah, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not, and bend their backs forever. Wow! We have this group within Israel who are rejecting God. We have a remnant that we don't know. Elijah didn't know who they were. Paul doesn't know who they were, who have not hardened. And so God says, Paul says this, I saved them. Well, that's chapter, that's verse 11. So I'll move on to 11. So here we go. I say then, did they not stumble so as to fall? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make those Jews jealous. Now, Paul says this. Now, if their transgression, that means Israel, is riches for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Now Paul says, I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their re rejection is the reconciliation of the world, that is the nations, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And so he says, um, if the first piece of the dough is holy, and Paul says that he and other Jewish believers are the first fruits of faith in Israel, the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, the branches are holy. Now he says, there are some that have rejected. If some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive, uh, are grafted in, He says, uh, among them, you become partakers of the rich root of the olive tree. But don't be arrogant against the branches. For if you are arrogant, remember it is not you who supports the root, 
but the root supports you. But you'll say, but branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And he says, that's correct. They were broken off for their unbelief. Remember, not a righteousness of faith. They are seeking to establish their own righteousness. And you stand by faith, but don't be conceited, but fear. For if he didn't spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So behold the kindness and the severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be grafted, cut off. And if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in. And if you were cut from a wild olive tree and grafted in, contrary to your nature, how much easier will it be for those natural branches to be grafted in by their own olive tree? Now, I want you to understand that Paul is talking about uh, a very important thing. He's warning the Gentiles against boasting over the natural branches. All who come to God, whether Jew or Gentile, come by grace, resulting in a humble faith which seeks to obey out of gratitude. And those who stop fading and become arrogant and entitled are going to be cut off. But those who repent, humble themselves, and seek the Lord's salvation, Yeshua, will be grafted in. I'm saying, I'm translating salvation into the Hebrew word from last week deliberately for next week. Okay. Now, Paul explains this mystery in, in verse 25. I don't want you to be uh, uninformed, brethren, of this mystery, so that you will not become wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion and remove a godliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so Paul says, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the patriarchs. This mystery that he talks about is to prevent us from boasting as if we've got it and those poor Jews don't have it. He says a partial and temporary hardening has happened to Israel. It's partial in that it does not keep them from trusting in God's salvation, but it prevents them from seeing who he is. It's temporary in that it is to allow the Gentiles time to come in. And then God will save all Israel. The Deliverer will come from Zion and remove ungodliness from Jacob. That is his covenant. The result is that now, in Paul's time, they are enemies of the gospel for the sake of the Gentiles. They are partially kept from fully understanding and accepting the Messiah because that would bring about the kingdom when Israel comes to full faith, that will bring about the kingdom and there will be no chance for us. So from the standpoint of this good news that's now coming to us, they are in part uh, kept from fully understanding it. They can understand it at the level that Abraham understood it, that remnant can. But the others uh, are, are rejecting God and if they reject God, they're going to reject the gospel too. 
So, from the standpoint of election to salvation, they are beloved for the sake of the patriarchs. And that brings us back to Romans chapter 9. So I want you to go back to chapter 9. This is why I didn't start with this. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I know you have, because I asked you to read 9, 10, 11, and I'm assuming you are familiar with what's here. So I want you to understand that this is where Paul says, I have real sorrow for those who are my brethren, because they have the advantage of having the adoption of sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the the Torah and the temple service and all of that. And they are the patriarchs from whom comes the Messiah. So he says, It is not as though the word of God has failed. Verse 6. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Now, he begins again with this idea that within the Jewish people, there are those who are the true Israelite, that is the one who humbles himself before God and struggles to obey his commandments waiting for his Yeshua, his salvation. And then there are others who say, we'll do the commandments, but then God owes us. And others who say, we don't want anything to do with this. Okay, And so he says that, that they are not all Israel in that sense. And then he gives the example of Isaac being the one through whom the descendants would be named. Not Ishmael. Right? Both children of Abraham, but one of faith and one of works. So he's not again talking about uh, this idea of they, they're accepting Jesus. He's explaining how God has been through this good news of righteousness by faith as opposed to works has always been known among Israel. And so he says that those who do it by works persecute those who walk by faith. And then he goes on and he says this. I want you to know that this is God's idea. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Verse 15. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So it doesn't depend on the one who chooses. I accepted God. Or the one who runs. I earned it. But on God who shows mercy. And he goes on and tells this. And that God is working uh, on those who are vessels of wrath, those who want to do it themselves or reject God altogether, versus those who say, God, I can't do it myself. Take away my sin. However you do it, take away my sin. Now, I can't go into detail here, but Paul began this section of these three chapters with the argument that the plan of God is based on his election, because we are all under sin. It's not based on the one who chooses, it's not based on the one who acts, but it's based on God who shows mercy. And if we keep going in chapter 9, he ends that chapter with saying that there is a stumbling stone that causes Israel, in part, to trip up on the gospel. But as we're going to see next week, we Christians, over time, have piled up additional stones, not just the cornerstone over which they trip, but we built a wall to wall them off from the gospel, and that has to be changed. So we're going to go back to Romans 11 and come to the end of this. Um, hopefully I've uh, not confused you completely. Uh, so he says, I want you to get the, the message, Paul says. You, Gentiles, were once disobedient to God, 
And now I've been shown mercy because of their, the Jews, disobedience. So these who now have been disobedient, that they, because of the mercy shown to you, they may now be shown mercy. For God has shut all into disobedience that he may show mercy to all. The depths of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable are his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord to become his counselor? Who has given to him that it might not be given back again? From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Now, Paul's notion here is this. That God has shut all into disobedience that he might show mercy to all. Now this gets lost when we do a couple of things. One is when we think that if we believe the right thing, the right doctrine, or the right words, then we are saved. Or if we think that if we do the right things, we are saved. Salvation is by grace through faith. God's grace and faith in God and his salvation, his Yeshua. So those who know their own sin and call out to God for mercy, trusting that he will provide salvation, Yeshua, on their behalf, have received the grace of God. Even those who have little understanding of how that salvation has been accomplished. The belief that you have to believe how God does salvation correctly in order to uh, be saved is a later concept. Those who trust in their own efforts to be established as righteous before God will be condemned. And that will happen even to those who name the name of God or Jesus on their lips. In Matthew, the Lord said, there will be those who say, Lord, Lord, we did all these great things in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness, Torahlessness. So the reality is that salvation comes to those who, like the one who beat his chest at the temple that Jesus talked about, and said, Lord, be merciful on me, a sinner. That one goes down justified. There's no mention of Jesus there. I'm not saying you can be saved apart from Jesus. There's no salvation except in Jesus. But Knowing all that we know is not what they knew. We'll talk about that. So the divide between Christians and Jews has been made greater still because of the change in the gospel. At present, the gospel to the Jew is almost completely ineffective. And it leads to further separation between religious Jews and religious Christians. And that's because of our history over the last 2,000 years. This change in the gospel has also resulted in fewer Gentiles actually coming to faith and more believing that they are saved when they are not. And so we have to clarify this gospel to the Jew and this gospel to the nations in a better way. I'm going to talk more about that next week. Uh, but that's where we're going now. And if you have questions after I pray, We'll go ahead and uh, take those. Let's let's go to the Lord in.